right, hello and welcome to Totem Talks, episode 24. 24, the uh, penultimate episode of our first season. Time really flies when you're having fun, Yeah, huh? it really does. It really does. Uh, well, so if you guys... let me know when we start having fun. <laughs> oh, geez. Are you going to do that the whole time? I'm sure that he is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah. if you guys have stuck around this long, thank you so much. If you just happen to be joining in, we have a whole first season worth of content for you to listen to. Um, basically, I'll give you the quick lowdown. We're taking every musical artist in the history of music, ranking them against each other battle royale style, and seeing who comes out on top. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly that's, battle royale style, <laughs> too. That's pretty much it. We compare their, their strengths and their weaknesses, their abilities and their, their fun stuffs and their, their little trivia Mostly knowledge. Mostly their fun stuffs, though. That's that's like the big yeah, thing that we focus exactly. on here. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and that's uh, that's kind of it. So today, we have three very special artists. We as do. As are all of our episodes special. Of course. Um, so we never talked about what order we're going in, so I'm going to dictate the order right here. We're going to start off with Sade. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, we're going to start off with Sade, then we're going to move on into Hall and Oates. Okay. And then we're going to wrap things up with Death Cab for Cutie. All right, awesome. Looking forward to it. So yeah. you did all that without telling anyone who you are, so I am confused. Oh, well, who is, uh, this who is are Totem you, sir, Talks, that I am here and uh, we, are, we are a little group of people that's started from the band Low Totem, a right. Bucks County, Pennsylvania-based band. And, uh, yeah, my name is Pat. I'm the lead singer of Low Totem. And I am Nick, and I play guitar, piano, and sing for Low Totem. Um, and uh, my name is uh, Tyler Eisenacher, and I am Great Irish the name. ghost writer for the entire Harry Potter book franchise. I figured <laughs> now that people have seen, um, you know, JK for who she really is, I'll come out and I'll say it. Um, not even like James Patterson. Didn't even really have the idea. She said, I want to write a story about a little baby boy wizard. And I said, well, let's build on that. So, um, <laughs> Oh, fascinating. Uh, I didn't write the film adaptations except for, well, I, I wrote one film adaptation, <laughs> arguably the best one, The Goblet of Fire. Uh, oh, that no. is how I wanted everything to go down in the book. She added all that extra stuff. Uh, well, then. Well, We've certainly learned a lot today. Yeah, we really did. Um, <laughs> either way, why don't we start talking about Sade? I would love to. So, Sade is both the name of the lead singer mm -hmm. and the band. They're an English band formed in London in 1982. Yeah, a band um, that you probably know from the song Smooth Operator, yeah. as did we, I think, all going into this. Oh, yeah, we knew one song, uh, which was Smooth Operator. Yeah, and then I looked when we were doing the research to see that these guys were multi-platinum selling artists all over the world on every record. Oh, I was yeah. like, what? This is just like a very clear-cut case of this just missed us. Yeah, somehow I don't know anyone yeah. who listens to this this artist, and I don't know why. It's very right. well, it's very bizarre. We listened to them now. Yes, we did. Uh, we listened to three albums as usual. The first album, which was Diamond Life, which came out in 1984. The last album, Soldier of Love, which came out in 2010. And then the most popular album, Promise, which came out in 1985. Yeah, right. So um, that's, that's pretty typical. So, uh, Nick, why don't you start talking off... Yeah. Why don't you start talking off? I'm going to talk uh, off. Uh, about yeah. Sade. So, so the very first song on the very first album is Smooth Operator, and that's the one right. I knew. So 
pretty much everything that came after that, I wasn't sure what to expect or, or really necessarily what I was getting myself into at all. And it turns out that this record is really great all the way oh, through. Yeah. I enjoyed every single song. I mean, a great, smooth, jazzy type feel over pop music. They really incorporated some of the jazzier elements, like as jazzy as you could get while it's still pop. And I love right. that. And uh, Stuart Matthewman, who writes most of these songs with Sade, who's the guitarist but also the saxophonist for this band, plays some really tremendous parts uh, all yeah. throughout this record. So enjoyable uh, to listen to him on the saxophone. I could pretty much recommend to you everything, but When Am I Going to Make a Living and Sally were two of the the tracks that really jumped out to me the most. Um, but there, there's nothing not to love here, I will say. Nothing not to love. Um, I was definitely the least familiar with this artist of of the three that we looked at today and really of most of the artists we've looked at on the whole history of the podcast. And they ended up being one of the most consistently impressive uh, artists that we've had. So nothing but great reviews for for this record from me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Tyler, what did you think? So, I'm going to I'm going to say something here, but I don't mean it to be an insult in any way at all. So, please before you leap down my throat, let me let me finish. Um they are the the music equivalent of a pineapple pizza. Okay. I I know that there are people out there who like it and you, it is competently put together and there is thought behind it but it is not for me it i could not get myself to listen to any one of these songs more than once that said it was it 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 never felt random it sure. never felt like there wasn't thought behind what was happening. It never felt like things were just slapped together last minute to try to just throw an album together. I but and spoiler warning for my other feelings towards the other two albums we're covering. It was just not not the kind of music that I like to listen to. But I can respect. I mean, the lead singer has very good vocals. Um. The instruments, I am assuming, are played very well. Yeah, but I would, again, I would yeah, agree with you. it's just this was this was not me. I mean, I should have known, knowing that there was jazz. Knowing there was a Tyler ton of would, jazz, would influence. disappoint me, but that's yeah. okay. So I'll give my opinion. Uh, I really enjoyed Diamond Life. Um, I, pretty much what Nick said. It opens with the first song and the only song that I knew going in, which has been a real mixed bag so far. That's happened on a couple different uh, artists that we've done so far. Right. And sometimes it's the only song you like, and then sometimes it's the you know the beginning of a great treat. Yeah. And uh, with Sade, it's a lot more of the latter. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the writing. Um, each song kind of told the story. Uh, they're all very typical subject matter, you know, love, yeah, one, right. love, uh, lost. Yeah. But, but never done in a bad way. Never done in a bad way. And, and I just really like the like the mystique of Sade. Yeah, totally. I know um, exactly It's just kind of this whole like vibe you get from them and from her. Like, it's just like, what are they going to do next? You never really can yeah. tell. Um, if I had to give a negative on this album, the only thing I can say is... Probably the last like four songs got a little bit monotonous. I would say that this, I would say that Sade isn't an artist that I would like to listen to full albums at a time, but would like to maybe like sprinkle her music throughout a playlist or something. And I'd really enjoy every song. Yeah, I think but you're I definitely right on. got a little bit of fatigue 
just listening to this style of music for, I mean, hours, basically. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I, I'm right there with you. I, yeah, I agree. For, yeah. for me, um, I, I don't think I would, like, go out of my way to turn off these songs, but if you tried to put a full album on, I would probably try to get something else sure. on there. I, I, I did, I did like um, Cherry Pie was kind of a kind of a more funky seventies kind of thing. But then the, the um, I, I, I think it's an electric organ. It sounded like an electric organ okay. to me. I'm not sure that kind of came in there, and then it became more of like I, I can't even tell you what genre this is. It's it's very it's much in, in its own, its own yeah. kind of category there. I mean, to call it pop, I think is just just wrong. I know we've we've talked about Apple Music in the past and their genreing, but it, when when I think of the the genre of pop, um, I could be one hundred percent wrong here. But isn't pop short for popular music? Right, and these guys were popular because of, I mean, immense record sales. Oh yeah, but it's definitely yeah. it's. I've also seen it uh, labeled as sophista pop, like it's a sof- more sophisticated sophista take pop. on pop, which they, is kind of interesting. I, I, thank the Lord that you did not tell me that we were going to be listening to, to a, a group that was band, sophista yeah. pop because I would have just not listened to it. Yeah, anyone who tried to describe themselves that way to me, I'd be like, "Well, uh, I wish I you mean, a lot of success." I'm not going to your Shade, I doubt they tried to perceive yeah. themselves as that. No, I don't. I don't get the impression that they perceived themselves that way. No. I get the idea that a lot of people that were into them and, well, and yeah. tried to to play them up to people who who not right. who weren't Shade like really. <laughs> Sade like really tried to like escape the uh, the generalization of being a jazz band too because they have mm-hmm. so much jazz influence. They were just like, listen, if you think we're a jazz band, you're wrong. And we if we were being a jazz band, we would be a lot more uh, a lot more sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, right. And now another thing actually too um, that I was reading about this week is something called Quiet Storm. I was trying to remember what it was called. While right. I was so Quiet Storm, it's like a sort of radio format genre that's yeah. contemporary R&B that's also jazz influenced with that's got a smoothness about it. I believe it was named after an album that was put out by Smokey Robinson that had like this kind of style that was brand new at the time. And then everything that's sort of like that uh, R&B jazz smoothness right. that's still a little bit poppy at the edges was kind of called Quiet Storm after that. So you could also classify it that way. If that's this, a genre so I never heard of if until doing If doing this podcast has taught me anything, it's that there are too many genres and we need to remove <laughs> and consolidate. Yeah, not this so, one. Though. <laughs> starting with the genre of pop, I don't think anything should be labeled pop anymore. Because yeah. if it does, in fact, stand for popular music, that's not a good enough description of what genre you're going to be I agree. All right, to. let's just let's roll yeah, on to the second why don't you, we, why don't you talk uh, about Promise? Because I'm assuming I, I, it's some of the like, same for you. It, it really is some of the same. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry to, to have so little to contribute here. I, it didn't offend me. You know, this music doesn't, doesn't irritate me to the point where I I want it to be turned off. I mean, and this is coming from a guy who works with very little kids who absolutely <laughs> love the idea of repetition and I've had to endure the baby shark song over and over. Oh, and over. Gosh. So so I I do 
have a very high tolerance when it comes to listening to to music and sounds and whatnot that you don't necessarily want to hear. But I I didn't get I, I didn't have to enact any of those talents when listening right. to this. I didn't have to put myself in a different headspace and pretend it wasn't on. Okay. Um, it just it it is not a genre that really clicks or resonates okay. with me. So I and you know all three of their albums kind of gave me that same feeling. So I'm really okay. the wrong person to talk to and ask. <laughs> what do well, you well think then we'll about talk about it. Because I think, we, yeah, uh, I again thought that this album was fantastic. Okay. Uh, I loved every single song. I mean, it's very similar in style. So I, I oh, yeah. definitely get what you're saying where if it's like the songs can start to run into each other a little Just bit. Just a bit, yeah. Um, there is an element of that but they're all super enjoyable. Uh, there were actually two that I vaguely recognized when I was listening to this record. Really? Uh, the Sweetest Taboo and Jezebel were okay. songs that I felt like I had heard before, and they were both great. Um, as what, The only other song that I'll mention specifically is Punch Drunk, which was yeah. written by Andrew Hale, the keyboardist, and it's the only uh, instrumental, as far as I'm aware of, on the three records, yeah. uh, or any of the records that I know of. Uh, it was great. It was really super well done. A lot of people on this record... A lot of people on this record that help that are possible candidates for for six degrees of totem talks. For instance, Dave Early, who played drums and percussion on this right. record, uh, also pl- drummed with Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Carlos Bonell, who plays uh, who's featured on guitar on one track, and he actually helped Paul McCartney arrange a concerto for guitar and orchestra at some point. Okay. And then Nick Ingman, who does the string arrangements, has also worked with Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton, Oasis, and Elton John over the course of his career. So there's a bunch of that stuff mixed in here of, you know, people who are involved with this record that were also working with a lot of other great musicians. But then I'll toss it over to you because that's all I have to to add. Okay. So I'm sad you you said the Six Degrees of Totem Talk. Did you want that? No, I have one. Oh, I have have plenty more for later on, Uh. but go ahead. Well, you're not going to steal the one that I have. Sure, then hurry up and say it. Well, I can't say it now. It's for another artist. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> oh, I know exactly. I know exactly what it is. Oh, we'll we'll see when we take yeah. our break. We'll right. see. We'll talk about it off camera here. Okay, go ahead. By camera, I definitely mean microphone. Microphone. Uh, but anyway, um, promise. I thought again, more of the same. Um, I feel like it was all around better. Just all around stronger. They were a little tighter. Uh, the vocals were a little stronger. I felt like there was a lot of like. Not affectation, but like what I like to call the mayor effect a little bit in her voice in the first album where like she like kind of covered her and like had a little bit more like this for a lot of it, Um, which still sounded really good. Mm -hmm. But I heard there was some power behind there that I didn't really get in the first album. Yeah. Got a lot more power in this one. Is It a Crime has some killer vocals, a lot of power behind the voice. And then she did also like kind of pull back on some of them. Um, The only one that I wanted to like, again... I'm not low lighting it as a bad song, but just the only song that kind of struck me a little weird was Tar Baby. Yeah. yeah uh, I felt I get like that. the lyrics were just a little, I didn't, they were confusing to me. Yeah. I was like, I, what story are you telling here? And it's the only song where I didn't get the story gotcha. she was telling. Um, but other than that, I mean, really, really strong album. I totally understand why it was the strongest album. Uh, it well deserved. Or strongest other than the first one. But I mean, it, it sold at almost as well. Yeah, still, but I they mean, were a both lot of like people, quadruple a lot platinum of people, in the US. Um, view this as the stronger album. Yeah, and very, For very understandably reason. so. Yeah, um, and and then I'll just go right into Soldier of Love. Yeah, um, this is again more of the same uh, in a good way. Um, I, I definitely by this point, so in between Promise and Shoulder of Soldier of Love, I listened to Hollow Notes. 
Oh, okay. To, because I knew that I needed to come at this with some fresh ears because yeah. I was just getting a little bit worn out from from the style. I get that. You know, just too too much at once. Uh, but when I came back to it, it you know, again she can sing and they can play and uh, they can write well. Um, I did notice just the tiniest bit of uh, vocal degradation, um, which years have passed. I mean, she's, she, she's older now in no way did it compromise the song or really limit her vocally. Like I didn't notice any limitations, but like as you get older, your voice gets a little deeper. It gets, mm-hmm. you know, it gets a little worn down, but uh, she definitely has it better than plenty of other singers. Oh yeah. And plenty of other singers that we've listened to on the show once they start hitting, you know, their later albums. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I'll highlight the actual title track, Soldier of Love. I really like Mm -hmm. that marching tempo in it. And then I will also uh, highlight Baby Father for the groove in it. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, Again, a lot of the same for me, too. Uh, By this album, because I did do all three in a row this is where i started to notice a little bit more of the monotony yeah um again not never bad never unenjoyable i always really liked it but i could tell where they were starting to run together a little bit and it occurred to me that i think a large part of it is because i mean she's got a great voice she sounds really awesome on all these tracks i don't know if she has a relatively small range compared to other professional singers or if she just found her spot and fell in love with it But she is almost always singing in the same small area in all these songs. Like, I think her vocal placement is part of one of the reasons why a lot of these songs feel like they run together. Because the melodies aren't entirely different because they're, you know, dancing around the same handful of notes. Um, Also, I thought maybe it was just a little bit more simplistic in the writing in this record, but not in a way that was bad, in a way that they everybody was trying to just find a a part to play and put together pieces to a puzzle instead of trying to like really highlight and show off on instruments at any time it was much more about uh plugging pieces of the puzzle together on this record to me uh i can understand yeah but again i I give it great reviews i'm a big fan of all all these records now tyler i don't want to i don't want to silence your opinion here but if i'm assuming that it's just more of the same we can just go to scoring yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I definitely see a lot of the qualities. Right, it's just not your to style. It, it's just not my style of music. That. Everything is well produced right. and put together. That's fine. So why don't we just score? Why don't we score Sade? Let's then? do it. So okay. cultural impact. Super weird. It's hard it's to hit or miss because we obviously come from a bias of our personal opinions on culture. Exactly, and we and weren't familiar. Sade, really. we missed her. Completely. Yeah, somehow. Now, which they've sold seventy-five million records yes, worldwide. So, I've so done it's got to be some, somewhere. Yeah, I've done some research, and a lot of the reason we don't know about them is kind of orchestrated by them. They are very much a record and kind of avoid the limelight group. That makes sense, they especially with the gaps that, yeah. between their records. They managed to avoid a lot of the uh, the perils of fame. Yeah, uh, but they still have interacted with you know the elite of fame yeah um they were talking there was an interview where tom hanks was talking about them 
and like her specifically and was just like she's a super cool like she's a super cool girl and like she's a super cool woman and you know i really enjoyed like spending time with her and you know they just like to stay out of the limelight yeah i get that they were actually also and i know we just throw these kinds of list rankings out once in a while whether they matter or not yeah they were actually ranked at number 50 when vh1 put out a list of their 100 greatest artists of all time okay i mean listen that's and, I get and that's it. worth considering at some level I too it. i think i i feel yeah. like with the amount of albums sold we gotta give them a really respectable score i mean i know we miss them and they're a one-hit wonder to a lot of people but they found a way to to really hit something you cannot be a one-hit wonder and and sell sell 75 million million albums absolutely unless all 70 million uh, 70 million of them plus were that one album yeah right she sold 73 million albums for diamond life and nothing else for anything else like a septuple diamond record that's not even a real thing um, well no uh, i'm oh gosh we just talked about we've talked about records going diamond we, or maybe uh, even double diamond like rarely i'm sure there's like a handful I of records in history that have done it here. Uh, i'm gonna slowly look this up while we keep talking have any okay. records ever gone pearl no, not that I'm aware of. Um, but anyway, uh, the the number I was thinking of was six and a half. I think that's great. I think um, that, and I that think makes that, up for what uh, we yeah. missed out on. Exactly. It still it could gives be some credit if to we the knew fact more that, about Sade. Right. The but, fact that they've decided to keep themselves out of the limelight exactly. and not be a part of this. But I still want to respect like the fact that they were selling all over the place and that a lot yeah. of people, they were really important to a lot of people. And to us now, too. Uh, Completely agree. Which brings us to Breath of Work. Uh, they're right on our average at six records, right? Uh, every single one has hit at least platinum, and most of them multi-platinum. And we thought the quality, generally speaking, even Tyler, who it wasn't for him, acknowledged that you know they were well-done records. Absolutely. Um, so I think you get, you start at the five, and then you got to bump them for for massive sales, and you got to bump them for quality. So we're again looking at a pretty good score for them. Um, yeah, maybe I mean, very similar to their cultural impact. Um, I, I might even go a little bit higher. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, I might be willing to go a little bit higher because they also have the average. I, I know you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. So like, but that they don't lose any points. No, like, they so don't lose anything that anywhere. Have this quality in sales, right? Where it's like, oh, they've only released four albums. Like, yeah, right. No, they, they don't have the lose average. anywhere. So they're only gaining. I might even go to a seven. I mean, seventy-five million units sold. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's, that's huge. huge, and, and they're all really strong, good. I'm okay with it. Yeah, performances. I'm okay with it. Uh, instrumental talent. So good, very solid. Oh, impressive. Yeah. Very solid. Uh, impressive often um but like i said i think there are a lot of songs and even like the later records where it was less about showing off their talents and more about songwriting that made them consistently good um but i still think they're above average i still think they're above average as a group i think you know there's obviously very nice vocals from shade herself oh yeah and so i mean the the saxophone was the most fun part for me to listen to uh, throughout all these records i absolutely loved those pieces i thought they were really well done so real quick, while while we were, I said I was slowly looking something. Yeah, up. Yeah, go ahead. I was looking up because I remember talking about Lincoln Park. Oh yeah, yeah. And how like just bonkers their record sales were yes. for their first few albums. So we were talking about if Sade had sold seventy million on her first album. Yeah. Hybrid Theory is one of the highest we like sales yeah, thresholds right. at thirty million. So That's it'd be wild. more so than triple double. diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. So. 
That's it. That's, that's all impressive. I have. No, that's that's crazy. Uh, um, so where where are you at on instrumental talent? Um, instrumental talent. I mean, I'm definitely above average, but I'm a little lower on lower this than this on the other because, two things. Like I felt like so much of the of the appeal of Sade was the mm-hmm. atmosphere. I totally agree. With um, you. Nothing was done in a way that was you know poorly written or poorly constructed. No, they found their pocket they where fa- they yeah, really exactly. worked, and they sat they found in that their pocket. pocket and they play in there. So it's like it's just like you know settling into this. Yes. Um, so I'm probably at like a five and a half. I was literally just typing in five and a half. Yeah. And I'm right there. I mean, it's above average, but there's nothing where you're just like totally blown yeah. away. Um, songwriting is kind of similar for me. I think if they had tried out more things or yeah. diverged their style a little bit more, then it could yeah, be higher. It, they nailed their style down. Like they yeah. really nailed it. It feels very uniquely Sade to me. Right. Uh, and I love that. And they never do anything wrong. I think they really pick the pieces. You know, the guitar is doing sure. exactly what it should do. The saxophone comes in right when it should. The keys are right where they need to be. Um, so I'm probably looking right around the same that we put for instrumental talent, like another five and a half year. Yeah. Just to acknowledge the fact that, the, you know, I'm totally they don't okay with another five expand and a half. after they're the, you know. good at their niche. But and then that's it. But it doesn't there's no, you know, divergence from that. Right. And now poetic talent. What do you think? about? So that? this is a little higher for me. Like I said, um, I really like the the kind of right to the point style that she uses. And mm-hmm. she writes in a way where you combine these like really straightforward stories in her lyrics with this like constant air of mystique that Sade has around her yeah. and the band. And it's like this weird dichotomy. It's like, okay, I'm super honest in my lyrics, but I'm, right. I'm very, you know, I'm very reserved in real life. Like what's what else is in here? Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like the only like window to them are their lyrics. I get that. I totally get that. So, I mean, that does the or that definitely bumps it up a little bit for me. Okay. Um, probably all the way up to a six, because um, I feel like quality wise, it's similar to the other two. Right. But I feel like that little added bonus of like the mystique and the straightforwardness of the lyrics really kind of bumped me there. I'm okay with that actually. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I mean, for the most part, I enjoyed everything. There was nothing that they did that. Right. Um, you know, I would have given them anything less than average on yeah. ever. So if you're really, really sold on them, then I'm good with that. Uh, and um, let's uh, assume there's no X Factor. Yeah, I don't think there's any X Factor. Um, I think that everything was kind of taken care of. Okay. So shall we roll along to Hall and Oats then? Let's do it. So Hall and Oats. Uh, Hall and Oats was an or is sorry is right. uh, an American pop rock duo. They were formed in 1970 in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Hometown bump. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get their tens across the board. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which, how uh, is that a hometown bump? We don't live in Philadelphia. I Close lived enough. in Philadelphia for the first 18 years of my life. Oh. I also lived there for a time. Then by that logic. And worked there. Then by I that logic. There. That's true. You currently work there. I am a New York native. All right. Well, I, I, I lived there for the first 18 years of my life. You didn't live in New York the first Yes, I did. No, you didn't. I've known you since before you were 18. Did you commute? Yes. He commuted to high school (laughs) from New York. (laughs) All right. Uh, Uh, Anyway, um, they were active from 1970 until the present day. Which blew my mind, by the way. That they're still active? No, that they started in in 1970. Yeah. Because I think of Hall & Oates, like, my mind closes the window from, like, 78 to 85. Yeah. And I'm like, everything Hall & Oates must have happened between those years. But I, I was get wrong. it. I do. Um, so we went over three of their albums. We went over their first album, which was called Whole Oats. 
whole, whole oats. oats. There you go. I'm sure this is exactly what they wanted when they yeah <laughs> when they made the title. Uh, then we went over their most popular album, which was H2O, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in 1982, and Whole Oats was 1972. Yeah, so a 10-year jump. And then we, we listened to Our Kind of Soul, which came out in 2004. Immediate right. shout-out to Hall & Oates for being one of the few bands where we get like pretty much beginning, middle, present Yeah, day. That's, that's a very good point. Usually um, it's like first two and then one that was yeah. 40 years later. So, I mean, but. really shout-out to them for like starting- Building up, being super famous, and you know, and then and then yeah. existing after that. That's true. <laughs> Way to go, guys. Way to exist. So whole oats. <laughs> yeah, whole oats. Tyler, why don't you go first for whole oats? So a lot of artists tend to sort of put out albums that are have like a kind of theme behind it. Sure. Whether it be like an upbeat, um, inspirational kind of get moving album, and then okay. and then more of like a like a somber album. I mean, every now and then you get some mixes in there. Okay. This one is definitely one of those exceptions where you've got like a a mixture of kind of like fun, happy go lucky songs and then some really slow somber songs. Sure. So, um it was definitely kind of a kind of a bit of a of of a roller coaster when you're when you're a little listening bit. to it because like, you know, you you come in and you have like a song like I'm sorry and you're thinking Oh, this is gonna kind of be like an upbeat, jovial thing, and then like you you get hit with another kind of like you know bob your head kind of song, and then all of a sudden it kind of like slows down and it picks up. Uh, not a bad thing, just um, no, something that definitely stuck out to me. Uh, another thing that stuck out to me, but I'm being told because um, I discussed it a little bit before we started recording, but uh, I'm being told that I I am I am incorrect. So. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to hear some feedback from our listeners to tell me just how incorrect I am. Um, listening to Hall & Oates reminded me oh so much of listening to early Billy Joel. I, okay. And yeah, I was I mean, only able opinion. to get I was only able to get confirmation of that uh, for one song. Yes, which was Fall in Philadelphia. Maybe because Pat is a native to Philadelphia. Maybe. Maybe um, that's what it is. That was one of his favorite songs. Uh, he is a big Billy Joel fan. So I he am. Was just like, I could sort of see it. Wouldn't give me the 100% yes, they are just like Billy Joel. Hmm. But but that was the closest <laughs> I was able okay. to get either one of my, yeah, uh, it my was. Uh, co-hosts here. And the reason for that was because as I was listening to this record, I was like, oh, they recorded a Simon and Garfunkel album. Yeah. I, I was like, oh my Much God, closer. this is a, like a soft rock pop duo. They're writing these really Who? beautiful songs. Yeah. Oh my God, uh, don't even. I thought that this whole record was really, really enjoyable. Um, I liked everything about it. I was so surprised that this was the sound on the first For record. Sure. Based on every popular Hall and Oates song that I already knew and loved coming into this, this isn't at all what I expected, but I'm super happy that this is what I got. Um, the only possible negative I could give, it's, it's sort of like a double-edged sword. I think they went with a lot of very interesting vocal lines. They took some chances, tried to make some things different. But in doing that, you could tell that they weren't quite as polished on the vocals as they would be when some of their bigger hits were coming out eight to yeah, ten but years later. But they're good. They were younger. It, right. It could be. It might just be that they it weren't wasn't, 100% settled It was in. never bad, but I listened to them and I'm like, oh, they haven't fully settled into their right. voices the way that they're going to, and I know how good yeah. they get. Um 
but yeah, all all really positives for me. Just like very surprising in a good way. Okay, so I'm a lot. Uh, I have a lot in common with what you said there, Nick. I really enjoyed this album. Uh, Hall and Oates has always been kind of hit or miss for me. Yeah. Yeah, well, because um, you're heard, a big Joel fan. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of their songs, uh, a lot of their later work, and it's always been like, oh, I like it or I don't like it. But, you know, I really enjoyed this entire album. Um, I did definitely hear a little bit Growing Pains. Uh, it was not enough to deter me. Um, I really liked the more laid back vibe because when Hollow Notes really gets going, they're kind of right in your face. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Don't sit so close to the TV then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I really did enjoy it. Um, I did want to shout out Fallen Philadelphia. I really did like that song. Uh, one one of the weirder lyrical lines for me, and I don't know, it just tickled me. Like, it was hilarious. Oh, my. <laughs> There's this really, like, beautiful, like, ornamented guitar line in this song called mm-hmm. Georgie. There's, like, some ni- really nice lyrics and stuff talking about this guy Georgie he's you know growing up he's learning the accordion from the pastor or from the preacher and <laughs> well that's dangerous <laughs> he, he's like hanging out in the lake with the preacher's daughter uh-oh and then there's just a line where it's just like they both went in dipped down to hide but the girl caught her locket on an underwater branch and this is all super upbeat sounding and then it's like and next thing she knew she died <laughs> and i was just like wait what yeah. Oh, I man. feel like she wouldn't have known. I, yeah, right. <laughs> it definitely struck me as like a really weird lyrical moment. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the song really went into like everybody's reaction. It was a good song overall, but that one line I had to see, I had to comment. I understand. On it. See, Georgie hit me in a weird way, but not in the same way it hit you. That is literally my childhood growing up. All of no. those wait, things wait, happened well, to me. No, they didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. Who was the preacher's <laughs> daughter that you killed? Oh, it wasn't me. It was the branch. But but we were in in pretty high spirits that day, even after it happened. (laughs) Anyway. So um, H2O? Well, the other song I wanted to highlight on this was Thank You For, which was just a really great exercise in counterpoint. Yeah. That was it. I just, I love counterpoint. I'm a sucker for counterpoint if it's done well, Mm -hmm. and it was done well there. So yeah, I'll move on to H2O. Now, this album opens with... The Hall & Oates song. It's well, Maneater. Not, they have a ton of huge hits. Yeah, but I mean- this But is Maneater is one of my favorites, song. too. Man, and that's, I think Maneater is why this was their highest selling. I would yeah. completely agree. Wait, did you guys listen? So so I searched for H2O, and I listened to the whole soundtrack to the film. Uh, go, go ahead, Pat. <laughs> you have so, to know to just go right by him at this point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it opens up with Maneater. One of their big hits for them. I do think this song happens to be just a little bit overplayed. Not in a way where I'm like, oh, this song, but in a way where like it comes on and I'm like, okay, they have more than just this song. That they do. Uh, but it was still a, a fun listen. Uh, it's a really great song. I really enjoy um, on this album, like Nick had mentioned and I had mentioned about their growing pains. They're grown. Yeah. Ten yeah. years have gone by. They're really comfortable in their voices. Their harmonics are on point, and they just nail them. Um, I, I like that they had this, like, mix of taking things a little too seriously at times, mixed with this, like, funniness of, like, the song Italian Girls. Did just, you did you think that was funny? I just cringed straight through it. Oh, I think... I could barely listen to those words. I 100% think that was intended to be 
like a completely humorous song. I don't think it was meant literally. I, I would hope not, because it was bad. Oh, it was bad. No, okay. it was bad lyrically, but I think it, I think it was like you guys are in on the joke. Okay. That's the was the vibe I got. If it wasn't that, I agree with you. All right, good. I just chose oof. to interpret that as like, oh, like you guys are in on the joke. Like this is stupid and yeah. funny. Um, and then delayed reaction. I also want to highlight as being like. Ironically enough, more of a power pop song than most Hollow Notes songs, even though when I think of Hollow Notes, I kind of get that power pop vibe. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. So yeah, that's it. I mean, really clutch album, really strong album all the way through, um, with the exception of if you think Italian Girls is a joke or not. Fair enough. I <laughs> okay. Uh, so again, Man Eater is one of my favorite songs. I have. I don't think it's overplayed. I can never get enough of those big Hollow Notes uh, tunes on the radio. Uh, the rest well, that's of this album. You're a vegetarian. You just like oats. That's true. The rest of this album was a massive disappointment to me. Uh, really? The second song, "Crime Pays," was a, a terrible. Time, "Crime Pays" was a terrible song. Um, okay. This whole record was like if cheese was music. This was the cheesiest thing I'd ever heard in my life. So, like, so I really I'm thought so that I was. Surprised. I really thought that I was going to love this record because I loved the first one. There were like eight or nine Hall & Oates hits on the radio that I knew that I liked. Right. And it started with Maneater, and I was super happy. And then everything else I was so disappointingly was cheesy and for you. bad. So, it was such a letdown. But I so, think the so cheesy wait a minute. bad is because Hugely it was very letdown. 80s, and you was, hate the 80s. It was so, not good. So wait a minute, wait a minute. But you say, you say, it, you know, you need to tell me what kind of cheese before I can appropriately <laughs> yeah. assume what you meant by it. It wasn't good, Tyler. It was bad. Um, okay. Well, then why I would you call not, it cheese? Will, cheese yeah, is delicious. Cheese is delicious. Yes, but you guys know what cheesy is. No, um, I don't. I will say. Is it like a cheese it One of the things. Was the album like a goldfish <laughs> one thing that was at least interesting was the song family man and the fact that mike oldfield was one of the writers and That's if you guys are his song okay there you go so if you're unfamiliar with mike oldfield uh he became famous for a lot of his instrumental records which are really great and i'm looking forward to doing them on the podcast someday tubular bells is his big claim to fame which was of course the music for the exorcist which i thought tyler might be uh interested in that but mike oldfield wrote the exorcist theme is it because tyler is possessed by a demon that is the main reason uh, i do think i will say i think later on in the b-side like what you mentioned with the late reaction it got better uh but they really needed to take a ton of the sound effects out of these songs and just go get rid of those synth programs and go back to all bass guitar drums saxophone and their vocals and they would have been golden yeah i mean i just think that this is a little too 80s for you. Yeah, it was and bad. That's why you didn't I, like I it. I really struggled to get um, through it. I, After I knowing that I liked, I liked every Hall right. song I'd heard before this record. I, I and then I, they lost you, me. But that's fine. They, su- um, they lost so me Nick, big time. I get it. I understand. Why don't you take yeah. us into our kind of soul? Oh, I uh, enjoyed Tyler the was album. Gonna, Tyler was going to talk about it. I wanted to give him a chance. Oh, I, I guess. Actually, no. He'll be more on my side, so go, go for it. Yeah, okay. Well, would you like to hear how I felt about H2O? I would love I would. to hear how you feel about oh, H2O. Oh, okay. All right. I was... um. I was. Uh, hey, I was on your side the whole I time. I swear to God, Tyler, please don't tell me how you feel about actual H2O. Please use the album and not the movie or the... Drink. Or the beverage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought the album was wet. All right. <laughs> there's my one. All right. <sighs> um... I mean, this is this is the '80s at its best for me. Um, I, despite being born in 1993, I really have these kind of. I I know I shouldn't. I know there's no real explanation for it, but I have these warm, 
wholesome, cuddly feelings, nostalgic feelings towards the music and film scene in the 80s. I mean, it's like as soon as the ball dropped in Times Square in 1979, disco was definitively dead and music got awesome. Well, sure. I'm glad that you guys enjoyed this and it didn't ruin your heroes because <laughs> two of my heroes were ruined That's today. That's crazy to me. Okay. Yeah, they were, it was bad. Well, Nick, I still would like you to take us into our kind of soul. Uh, I would love to. So a little bit of background on this record. It's 18 tracks. Is long. Three of which are originals. It's is almost long. entirely covers. Um, almost entirely covers and some interesting choices to say the least on here i was fascinated that they tried to tackle can't get enough of your love by barry white because i feel like you need a very specific voice to sing that song what kind of voice yeah and, and they do not have it um not that it was bad not that any of these songs were bad so to speak yeah um there, uh, there were definitely times when I could enjoy the sounds coming coming out of the speakers when I was listening to this, but it was just super unfortunate to me that they decided to incorporate so much fake, overproduced sounds in this. Like, it was hard to hear the strings and the drums on a lot of it as anything other than, like, fake overproduced nonsense that could have been the backing tracks for Backstreet Boys songs in the same era. Uh... If they had done this and made it sound like real musicians sitting in a room together and made it sound Which more acoustic, we'll it would have been so much better. Mm-hmm. It's like the it really just took me out of the album throughout where all of the songs would have been enjoyable to me if they didn't sound like whoever was creating the backing tracks for the Backstreet Boys created these backing tracks for them to sing to. Right. I mean, it, it so... really took me out of it. Okay, yeah. that's fair. So I'll talk yeah. about it. Um, Our kind of soul. Uh, Nick mentioned it's mostly covers. I agree with Nick. I agree with you about the album. But I chose to give it a second chance, and I saw that they came out with a live DVD of this album. Which I'm sure I would have liked much better. Where they played through the album live. So I went and checked that out uh, because I was like, okay, I like Hall & Oates. I think this is more of a production issue than a Hall and Oates issue. Mm-hmm. Let me listen. And night and day. Yeah. So much better with the live uh, recordings because they had musicians and it was a mm-hmm. whole group of musicians playing on the album. Right, which blow, even blows I, my mind yeah. more that they heard that and then also decided to release this overproduced crap I feel like it might have already been released. I'm not too. sure about I mean, the time like, frame. I want uh, to say that the DVD came out in 05 and it was sure, 04 when, but the, still, when the CD came out. still, if they knew what it was going to sound like with real musicians, just yeah. do that. Listen, I get it. Um, I'm uh, Judging it from just the CD, I agree it was super overproduced. Hey, there's a reason why it's like almost impossible to find. Yeah. Yes, there Thank is you. definitely a reason for that. Um, But like I said, the CD overproduced the live DVD, which is all the same songs, showed that they still had a lot of talent with it. Yeah, but um, even listening to it live is awful because you're listening to... You can't record sounds appropriately in a live place with an audience there. That's just... I mean, the it's live one DVD thing, was really good. It was really well done. 
Yeah, but even well done, that's not how you record instruments to preserve the sound and play it back. It's definitely going to set some kind of mood or atmosphere when you watch it, so you can almost have the illusion like you were there, but sure. on playback, it's it's not. It, it's just not a good sound. I mean, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah, why whenever, I'm glad that we're all on board Whenever, yes. Whenever a band or an artist puts out a live album, I pretty much will just completely skip it. Oh, see that makes I disagree with that. There are so many really wonderful live albums. A lot of, lot of great lot of, live there, albums if, out there. If the album itself is live, it typically means that they still went through proper recording channels like direct ins, yeah. like really close hot mics. Like Definitely. You still get a really good recording. You just also get audience, right? Um, just a couple songs to highlight for me from this one, and it's it, there's few and far between. Are you between really gonna me. highlight uh, any songs? I'm gonna only it's highlight all relative. them. It's all relative. I'm only highlighting them from the live DVD. There are no good. highlights on the album. Excellent. And then I will give the six but degrees of tone talks for real this week. That sure. is not what we well, were covering. No, I will give another real one. <laughs> that okay, is, okay. give one we, a real we one. We were too. not right. covering the live album though. I'm just right. shouting it out for our yeah. audience to listen to. Um, I liked their cover of I'll Be Around on the DVD. Um, it was good. On the DVD. Right. No, I know. I know. Um, and then also I, I really liked their version of I'm Still in Love with You by Al Green. Okay. Um, on the DVD. <laughs> it was right. good. Yeah, we get it. We uh, get so it. those are just the two highlights. Listen to those two songs on the DVD and pretend the album doesn't exist. You can't find it anyway. Yeah. So just pretend that's it. Because to me, this is what corn would sound like if it was an album. Yeah, there you go. So okay. it's very corny. I, I, very corny, very cheesy, just like seriously, the other Seriously, I like, legitimately thought you were trying to compare them to the band corn. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be hilarious. And I would have not I, know that that band exists. I couldn't wait for okay. that comparison. So quick Six Degrees of Totem Talks. Let yes. me slide that in there. So if you guys are at all familiar with Hall Notes, like I was before this, something that you may enjoy watching from time to time is a little show called Live from Daryl's House, where uh, Daryl Hall has a bunch of musicians over, and they jam on their songs, and they have a good time. They have a house studio band that all plays in. It's really fun to watch. Like It's yeah. a good show. It's very cool. You see a bunch of different musicians. On that show, he has had Todd Rundgren multiple times. He's also had yes. Sammy Hagar, Chris Daughtry, and if we want to include the... Uh, the band draft non-sequential episode as part of our canon then he also had the bacon brothers on at some point who tyler drafted of course to be in his, his fantasy band we are really gonna yeah. legitimize hey, kevin Tyler's bacon's a band. real musician i'm not he is I'm, delicious so anyway that's that's the last thing i wanted to add it for uh six degrees and how appropriate that is kevin bacon okay the only other thing that i want to i want to say real quick about hall and oats before we score them Go ahead. I when I watched the DVD, all I could think of the whole time was that like Daryl Hall looks like Willem Dafoe. Oh, interesting. It was super okay. weird. That's it. Uh, let's Fair score enough. them. That's oh, um, definitely yeah. that's definitely some uh yeah some bonus points. And their daughters <laughs> actually have their own music group. Um, they are called Garfunkel. Garfunkel. Oh, okay, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Hall Notes, uh, cultural impact is certainly above average for these guys. They put I out a bunch so. of hits. Uh, they sold some records. They were pretty famous for quite a while, I would say. Um, I would. I don't know how many total records they've sold. I would say that I would think of them as more popular and famous than a band like Sade, uh, who we just agree. gave a six and a half. They are members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all that other good stuff. Um, 
So where do we want to uh, where do we want to place them? I'm nervous to say anything. Um, so Hall and Oates has sold about 40 million records. Wow, I'm shocked. It's half, near, little more than half of Sade, but still. Yeah. And with triple the number of records that they've put out. Too. Yes. Wild. Um, that hurts. That Nick, hurts what did we give bit. Sade? We gave her uh, them a six and a half. Okay. I mean, Hall Notes definitely so has here's more what I'm gonna radio say. In terms of hits. Cultural impact. Yeah, I think that it's not just about the sales. Of course, no. And Hall and Notes have made it a point to remain in the spotlight, whereas Sade has made a point to, to that's be true. Away. That's very true. Because so my I think instincts when I are definitely higher give than six them and a half, seven and a half. Yeah, it, it's nothing to do with strictly sales. Like if it was just sales, they would be right. lower than Sade. Right. I think it's that concerted effort to remain. Relevant. Right and do other things and and yeah yes so no, that's, I agree with you that's what they I they should believe. be they should be around in that area I think yeah I mean I think a seven and a half is good they have plenty of big hits yeah they definitely do um, unfortunately from what I found out that those were the hits for a reason <laughs> um, but that does bring us to uh, looking at their breadth of work there yeah. are eighteen studio albums but that Which includes is three times the average yes. so we're looking at a fifteen. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, one of them is a Christmas album, so we're looking in back. We're back to five. Back to um, back to five. No. Uh, and then one of them was that cover album we listened to at the end. Yeah. Um, which was not good. Uh surprisingly enough, H Two was the only record to go triple platinum for them. I would have assumed their sales thresholds were higher. They have a lot of records that never uh, were certified in any way. Yeah, I was. I was very really surprised, surprised at their sales thresholds. Yeah, they're much Knowing lower than what I, I would know have expected. About Hall and Oates. Yeah. Um. So I mean, it still helps them. I mean, they still sold more than the average band. Absolutely, forty million records worldwide is is something that t- helps them. Uh, I just happens to feel personally that going through the quality really suffered once you got past the hits. I, uh, I mean, yeah. that's, and I know that that's only my opinion. You guys disagree to well, some extent I'm really or another. I'm really excited. So what I want to do now, I didn't do it yet, but I can't wait. I want to go back and listen to like, Whole Oats came out in 72. Yeah, I want to listen to like 73, record- 70. I want right. to see how, how well, long there, it took them you, to go from. Their second record actually went platinum because it had Sarah Smile on it. Which is another yeah. one of those huge hit songs that's fantastic. Like, I absolutely love the song, Sarah Smile. Or, oh, maybe that was their third record, excuse me. But, like, they had made the transition, at least to some extent, by record three or four. Um, yeah, I I totally get it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm torn because I know for some people the quality will still be good. I think the quality hurts them because when you get past the hits, I felt like, it's not sure. a deep discography. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's 18, well, we'll say 17 records to get rid of the Christmas album, but I don't find it to be deep at all. I feel okay. like it's really hit, so, hit or miss quite a bit. I think we just make the choice here and we give them a five and a half. Really? I See, I still would have gone higher than that, not liking a lot of it, just because they did sell 40 million and there were 17. So are you okay with a six then? I am. I am okay with a six because okay. I feel like that gives them credit for 17 records sure. selling well, but that I just felt like there was not a lot of depth there. Sure. Okay. Fine. Um, six it is. Yes. Yeah. Six. <laughs> so <laughs> Instrumental Talent is another <laughs> one you, that Robot I was Tyler. Uh, super disappointed by after the first record because they stop using as many acoustic instruments or live instruments and start mm-hmm. adding synthesized parts into all their songs. Yeah, like but that doesn't they get rid of drummers and put in a yeah, drum machine and that hurts here's a lot my for, problem me for that, instrumental though. talent. Here, here's the thing that I I think when you think of Hall and Oates as instrumental talent, it's their voices. Yeah, but you can't discount like 
if we thought it but was Hall just their voices, a duo, it's not all about the band. Okay. Well, no, so Instinct got a three and a half, even, and they could sing. Not even, but the backing tracks taking, were garbage. Not even taking vocals. They're better than Instinct. Not even taking vocals into question. Just because you have synthesized instruments does not mean you can slap an album together and people will listen to it and like it. You still need to be an artist and know what it is and how you're mixing it and how you're making it play. Yeah, sure, yeah, but, but that's I'm more losing, like songwriting. Losing your losing your live drums would take away your well, let, instrumental let me tell you the, the, a little so bit. But very specifically, else very specifically, musician. on the last record, they had right. four songs that were played uh, on the actual acoustic drum kit by Steve Jordan, who is one of the best drummers to be playing in the last several decades. Steve Jordan is absolutely phenomenal, works with the best of the best, is known for being in like the John Mayer trio where he works with John and Pino Palladino, has recorded okay. with guys like Clapton. Like he's been on also, but Steve Jordan is out of this world and okay. well loved and respect by drummers, you know, all over the world. But then they replace him on 12 tracks with a drum machine. Or, or Why would you do that? Well, yeah, and I'm, it's very bad. It's I'm, not good to listen I'm, to. I'm willing to. Well, first off, their last album, they lose all all the points. Yes. All the points for <laughs> instrumental talent because I don't know what was happening there. Yeah. Uh, I I still I still would say that it does take a certain level of musical skill and knowledge to play electronic instruments. I do agree, though. Th- to take a drummer out it's a big difference yeah because it is a big difference drum machines are inherently different than an actual drum i agree using using a synthesizer or electronic no that's different that is that's different different. so i do okay so then i'm talking very specifically about replacing real okay so then i think then i think i definitely would agree with you okay in that in that and i'm not saying it makes them like a three or anything like that i just think it needs to be factored in I can tell that Pat doesn't love that, though. Listen, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. I just think that the real emphasis on Hall & Oates should be on their voices. Right, but I think but we I just don't need think, to take every part voices, of the record into account. But I don't think the, you know, their voices are definitely... They, they definitely have good voices, mm-hmm. but I don't think I I knew and liked the song Man Eater because they're vocals. I, mm-hmm. like, I don't think when you listen to that song, you don't go, oh my goodness, do you hear these singers? Right, That's, I hear that song, I hear the bass, I hear the saxophone. Yeah, Those I, are the things that stick out to me. I, they're... Their ability to sing together is definitely something they have going for them. But I oh, yeah. don't think and they should get high marks I, yeah. for that. And but then that should be brought that. back down to earth by the fact that they replaced a lot of actual instrumentalists on so what the, a lot of these records. Thinking? Somewhere I, in the fives. Yeah, I would I would definitely have them at average. I think I would probably put them I I mean, I'm actually surprised to hear a five. I would probably go a little bit lower than a five. There you now. go. Uh, because, I will go to five because I do not. I just I do not think that they the two of them together have the the vocal chaps to oh I completely disagree to outshine their instruments whether okay. it be I think Daryl Hall or is, not is a phenomenal well, singer and I think John Oates holds his own as well. <laughs> All right, um, what 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 was your? I mean, I, the lowest I'm really like willing to go is a five and a half because I recognize your points. Okay. That's what you what you get then. Uh, songwriting talent. They were very pop. They're uh, very I pop was, oriented. Except I was surprised to hear the first record in a yeah. good way. 
I mean, I will give them credit for that first record, the soft rock sound being a little bit different than the power pop that we know them for. Yeah. I so mean, there's a little bit of diversity. Unfortunately, and Nick, I know, I, I feel like this might be Tyler and I going against you a little bit. Go ahead. I think their ability to craft songs using these electronic instruments in ways to create hits and to create super catchy stuff. Yeah. Not gives only. Them well, a lot of their hits were much less synthesized or used they used real keyboard and organ sounds and guitars yeah, and bass and I'm real saxophones yeah, but I mean, that's why they're good the fact that the fact they're that they're well crafted the, yeah. the fact that they were able to use both acoustic and electronic instruments and create tracks that weren't repetitive and weren't just using sample melodies that they just threw together because i a lot of people you know especially nowadays will get on to some kind of music editing application and they hear a bunch of like demo things or you hop on to mm-hmm. your old cast yeah, no i get and that you start that thing and then you write right. a song you totally guys different. look i wrote a song yeah it's not the and, same and keep in mind i did come into this episode saying i had never heard a hollow note song that i didn't really like until this week you know, this was right. the first time I heard. So this is a band that I will continue to listen to this first record. I'll continue to listen to all the songs that I knew before and really enjoy them. I just didn't get anything new that I enjoyed to add on to that uh, outside the first record. Um, I'm not against giving them above average in songwriting talent either. I'm just trying to temper it a little bit by saying that outside of one record, they found their niche and they stuck to it, just like Sade did. Sure. So what are you thinking? Um, where are you at? Where am I at? I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think I'm in your basement. Sometimes I wonder where in this world we are. Do you want to give them I another five ten, and a half? I think intentionally I'm going to have to give them a five and a third. Five and a third. You got it. Yeah, a little bit lower on this one. Okay, that's fine. What about Poetic Town? I say because the song Italian Girls exists, zero. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, no. all, all kidding aside, I don't think they were doing anything. There was nothing special. That, no. I really, I think, yeah, I think, again... Uh, Other than that one instance, it wasn't detracting from the songs for me. But yeah, and I really I've been think in Philly in the fall. It was sure. so different from everything else they do. Like that had yeah, to be a joke. I, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Well, oh no, I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even considering that. I'm just thinking about <laughs> all of the songs that, that that they that that they have that I listened to. I wasn't hearing anything special lyrically. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've been to Philadelphia in the fall. It's not that great. It's <laughs> well, not bad. As, as have I. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. But it's not. It's not that. Are much we better sitting than right in the middle then? now? Yeah, I we're think feeling we are. right in yeah. the middle. Okay, uh, is there an X factor here to be spoken of? No, no, okay. no. I don't think so. I agree. So that will just bring us to round things out with Death Cab for Cutie. All right, let's go. All right, and we are going to round things out with Death Cab for Cutie. So Death Cab for Cutie is an American alternative rock band. They were formed in Bellingham, Washington in 1997. One of those Washington bands from the 90s, you know? Yep, exactly. But but not, not, not where you'd think. Just alternative. Not where you'd think, because you, you'd think a certain Seattle, city. right. I don't know how far Bellingham is You were thinking Seattle. Walla Walla. Oh, my gosh. Can we can we go to Walla Walla, Washington, and, and start the band I, over again? Funny enough that the uh, guy in the band who plays guitar and organ is named Chris Walla. <laughs> <laughs> was, it named, was, was the city named after him? It could have been. I love him and, Him and his brother. Well, yeah. remember <laughs> the two wallets. You guys remember one of our sponsors from a few episodes nope, back? No, nope, nope. no, 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 no. Was, was Anchor. Anchor. 
Our All sponsor right. is Anchor. Yes. Unless uh, you're listening to this years later where our sponsor is no longer Anchor. It's someone else. Right. And then it's insert sponsor here. Exactly. So uh, anyway. anyway, they've been active all the way from 1997 until the present day. And we have listened to three of their albums. I know. Shocking. Because we never yeah, do right. that. Uh, so we started off listening to Something About Airplanes which came out in 1998. That was their first album. Then we listened to their most popular album, which was Plans. Which is shocking to me. Um, really? As someone who was... I mean, not that I uh, you know, would have anything negative to say about the record or anything like that, but everybody in the Death Cab for Cutie community would say... Like, transatlanticism is, like, the big favorite. Like, transatlanticism right. is known as but their this best album work, is the especially. One that has two of their three biggest hits on it. That that's true. I just I, always think of when I hear Death Cab for Cutie, I'm like, oh, transatlanticism is like the big oh. defining record. By oh, them. okay. But, See, I don't even think of a record when I hear Death Cab for Cutie. I think I will follow you into the dark. Okay, yeah, but people in the alt rock community, like transatlanticism, is kind yeah. of like a cult following, big time record. I get sort it. of like. You know, a a better version of the pavement records that are like have oh, huge cult following. Oh my god! Why would you? Even I, I'm sorry bring for comparing pavements. them. I'm sorry for comparing them because it's much are you better. Ser- Do you want me to score them all is, zeros? Transatlanticism is infinitely better, but it's you. It's the album I most associate with like Death Cab fans. But carry on. Okay, listen. Carry on. All I'm going to tell you is it came out in 2005, and you're making me hate them by comparing them to I'm pavement. sorry. Uh, Transatlanticism, I promise, is much better. So we're going to round it out today with Thank You for Today, which came out in 2018. Yes, it did. So I will go first talking Please. about something about airplanes, which was a little bit of a mixed bag for me. Um, so... I thought I liked a lot of Death Cab for Cutie because I knew three songs. Yeah, all three and I liked all three of them. Um, You have in your Hall and Oates moment. Maybe (laughs) this whole album just felt weird to me. Um, It was like weirdly stylized, as in like the vocals for like the first half of every song. Not only were they not the the main event, but they weren't even like the third or fourth event. It was very, like, drum-heavy, and then, like, kind of atmospheric noise-heavy piano, and then, like, the vocals would be, like, you know, they'd be, like, super quiet in the background. like oh, Yeah, definitely. So it was weird. It was very off-putting to me. Um, there was some songs that came across, well, some songs where you could tell they experimented and it didn't work, but, you know, respect the grind, uh, and then some songs that ended up being pretty good. Uh, that's kind of where I landed. Um, I thought uh, the dark humor from the song Champagne from a Paper Cup was pretty good. Yeah, it was a really good one. The song itself was was like a, maybe like a 7 out of 10, but I liked the lyrics on it. Um, I liked the song Sleep Spent. Mm-hmm. Um, it had this like kind of like haunting quality to it that I enjoyed. I agree. Uh, the song Amputations just felt weird to me, uh, like all the way through instrumentally, okay, rhythmically, yeah. lyrically. And, and I mean, again, I, I just was like... When I think of Death Cab for Cutie, I have these, I guess it's because I had these expectations Mm -hmm. and zero of them were hit with this. Like it didn't have that acoustic moment of I will follow you into the dark. Um, It had some of the like kind of atmospheric, you know, alt rock sound from like Soul Meets Body, but not executed in the same way, like in a good way (laughs) to me. Um, and it just felt like they had these like weird, almost like off key moments that definitely were intentional. Yeah, it was there was dissonance. On it, there was some dissonance, obviously. but it, it 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 didn't play off in a way where it made sense lyrically to me to have that dissonance. 
Okay. So all in all, I'm about a five out of ten on this album. Okay. About neutral. Tyler, where are you at on it? Uh, so it was very frustrating for me listening to this album. The mainly because the singer is I don't I don't know if it's if it's how he sings or if it's how it's mixed. It sounds like I'm listening to the band and on the other side of the room from where the band exactly. is. Yeah, that's the mix. Is the singer. That's the mix, and I'm pretty sure that they did it intentionally. They buried the uh, vocals oh, they on did. purpose. Because the other records, they don't bury the vocals They definitely all. did it on purpose. Uh, they did it on purpose for this one in particular. And it's just like, you took the time to write a song. You're at least trying to make people think that what you wrote, you believe. Mm-hmm. Let me hear the words or put out an instrumental album. Yeah, okay. And, <laughs> yeah. and then on the other side of that, this... You know, just listening to the the instrumentals because that's all you can really hear for a lot of it. It, it, it. This is just really basic level alternative rock from this from this time. Like it, nothing jumps out at you. I mean, it's almost not even for me. This was almost not even worth listening to. Quite honestly, interesting. If, you know, it, it again. I use this phrase very often. Uh. It didn't offend me in that, like, listening to it wasn't like, oh, this is awful. But listening to it was more, more got the reaction out of me. It was like, oh, this is so generic. It's just like background noise from a TV show. It's like we're shooting a scene and there's supposed to be a live band and the main character is super into the alternative Mm -hmm. rock scene. But we do not have the rights to any actual artists. So... We just need someone to come out there <laughs> okay. and do the most generic sounding alternative okay. music. Okay, so I will, go into, yeah, I will let's go into yeah. Nick's opinion. And um, I will be different. Um, yeah. Not entirely different because I thought this album was very average. Uh, for me, it was very average. Part of the problem being obviously the vocal stuff being way too buried. But I do like the almost ambient feel of this record a lot of the time. I actually wrote down in my notes... This record would be best appreciated in a sensory deprivation tank. Like if I was just sitting in a dark tank where I couldn't hear anything else or see anything else and somebody put those headphones on and let me enjoy like an ambient record for 40 minutes, I would have really appreciated it and enjoyed it. And all of the little tiny pieces that were in these songs all over the place would have resonated more with me in that setting. In the real world, it was harder to get into to that level because I actually really like ambient records. Like, I'll go listen to Brian Eno's stuff and and get into it. It was just a very average uh, as far as that stuff goes because in the real world, you have to listen to it while you're in your car or at your job or doing other things. So it was hard for me to fully appreciate. I'll just leave it there. Um, I'll leave it there and I'll get into plans, which right away... Vox are up in the mix. It sounds way better. We've got some really great songs. Uh, Plans is fantastic. It is a really great album. Obviously, it has the two big hits on it, as Pat alluded to earlier, in Soul Meets Body and I Will Follow You Into the Dark. They're both just really uh, fantastic tunes. Um, I really enjoyed like the theme of the album being about the futility of plans. Yes. And like how, you know, it's just... You know, why are you even bothering to try to determine what's going to happen in the future of your life? You have no control over that, (laughs) which uh, I think is kind of cool. It's just really, really excellent. Um, 
Crooked Teeth, I thought, was a really great change-up song for them from the feel that was going on throughout the rest of the record. Uh, There were some unique melodies going on and things like the Stable song. It was all so much better when you could actually hear the vocals, melodically speaking. Yeah, uh, 100%. Everything about this record was really good. Uh, Again, I would recommend it from start to finish. Really, really solid piece. Up there with the Sade albums for me um, as possibly the best or, you know, in the top four of of the listening for this week, for sure. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Tyler, what did you think? Um, it definitely better. I don't know. I I guess I've 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 grown so far away from liking this genre of music, but growing up as a fan of it, I have such a a weird reaction listening to music of this genre now because there's this part of me that goes oh i like it and then there's this other part of me that goes but not anymore i i don't know it's kind of like i I can only kind of describe it to when like you first realize that you don't want to play with toys anymore yeah no i i know exactly what you're talking about because that's how i feel about a lot of the artists that you guys like on here like van halen i'm like oh they're so cool because i'm 14 but now as an adult, I can't get into them anymore. Sort of the way you feel about the 2000s alt-rock scene is how I sure. feel about like glam rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it just, it, uh, I, I've also taken up such a, such a more optimistic outlook on life. It's hard listening to a lot of this stuff because, you know, a lot of alternative rock, the subject matter is always maybe not the most depressing thing you'll ever hear but it's always about something unfortunate and i just i have i my whole outlook on life and things since i was into this genre has just kind of done a complete 180 i just i can't even be interested in listening to songs that are singing about that subject matter anymore because i know hey shout out to your sunnier disposition yeah that's very nice I don't. I, that sounded so sarcastic, but I really it meant really it. Did, yeah, it was it, very. I, I had no idea how to gauge that. It's yeah, like great job, well, hey, Tyler, you, Mr. Sit, Sunshine. Yeah, look at you <laughs> sitting there with a smile on your face the while the rest of you. us die. I really <laughs> meant it. I meant it completely sincerely. I'm right. happy that you're happy. Tell us sincerely what you thought of this record, though. Uh, I am much closer to you, Nick. I, I thought this be. record was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and honestly, this is what I think of when I think of Death Cab for Cutie. I totally. think of this album. Um, this kind of mix of these like more alt rock sounds and this like acoustic breakdown of songs. This is where their bread and butter kind of feels like it should be. Uh, big shout out to Soul Meets Body. Uh, big shout out to I Will Follow You Into the Dark. My personal favorite song of theirs is, is I Will Follow You Into the Dark. We didn't get to mine. So sad. Yeah, I know. Yours is the album version of I Will Possess Your Heart. Correct. The full eight minutes are, are nothing at all. Well, you love long songs. I do. Any song over five minutes, Nick instantly likes. I Pretty much. You take a bad song and you add three and a half minutes to it and Nick loves it. That's a really great point. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to say is they have a song called Someday You Will Be Loved, and I want to sue them for stealing the title of one of our songs. That's not the title of one of our songs. It's only yeah. close. It's pretty close. It's close enough. Fair enough. It's, cl- it's close enough. Uh, no, but again, pretty much through and through, I thought this was a pretty top tier album. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my only thing to say because we get to talk about Thank You for Today, which right. I am weaker on, like significantly weaker on. Like I didn't like it pretty much at all. Um, it felt like, and this has happened before on the podcast, 
a band tried to recapture what made them special. Okay. And played it a little too safe. Hmm. And ended up releasing kind of just this like vapid, uninspired album. Yeah, I get you. Um, that's kind of, I mean, it, it felt, honestly, it, what it felt like to me was a band who was kind of like riding off into the sunset a little bit, and they're just like, we're just going to put out this music, we know it'll sell X amount, well, we'll make X amount off of it, and then we'll be able to just chill. Well, can I ask you a question, Pat? Yeah. What force would you say has done more to ruin music than anything else in the history of music? What force? Yeah, because I think American I can make- Idol? So close. I can answer- all your questions about this album the voice uh you're you're getting there so the, the one singer. thing that has done more than Never. anything else to ruin music is of course Yoko Ono and Yoko <laughs> Ono co-wrote one of the songs on this album right um so talking about this album after telling you how much i didn't like it wait was it Katy Perry it was it was, it was Yoko, Yoko Ono, ono. Um, she did co-write. I, I don't know if it's a co-write or I. I think is they it a just cover sampled, of a Yoko Ogun? I think on, it's the song "Gold Rush" is what yeah. we're talking about. I'm 99% sure what they did was they sampled a Yoko Ono song. Okay, gotcha. It. Um, which still, still, yeah, putting I mean, her on the album needs. as a credit yeah, is, is is dangerous. Can't do it. Um, again, this whole thing felt pretty vapid, uninspired. Uh, the only song that felt like really different to me was "60 and Punk." Um, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm really torn because on one hand I liked that it was different, and on the other hand it still didn't seem that good. And the only the only note I have on that song is the word acerbic. Okay. Which sure. I guess. <laughs> um, but this album, thank you for today, brings me to my six degrees oh of boy, tone oh boy, talks. Oh boy, oh boy! I did it! I finally got. I'm one. very excited. Uh, so this album was produced by a guy called Rich Costi. Who we've spoken of on the podcast yes, previously. we've spoken of him previously because he was the producer for the Muse album Simulation Theory. Major bummer. Now, this came out the same year as that, which means he was in roughly the same headspace, which is why both sucked. Could very well be. And um, that's... Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as saying that this album sucked. Uh, it was it's the not weakest. It was the weakest of these three Definitely. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with something that made simulation theory suck, which is they went a little too 80s with it. Um, there were just some times when they went a little too 80s with it, and I did not love that even a little bit. Sure. Um, but there were earlier tracks before they got into that where I felt like they were meeting somewhere in the middle of the first two albums. Like, I definitely hear what you're saying with a call back to their previous success. Because it felt like they were somewhere between their earliest records and their biggest hit era. But then they drifted off into 80s land with extra th synthesizers and, and too much extra sound going on under the the main part of the music that I didn't really care for. I, I will say they do have a new guitarist, which may be also, you know, the fact that there's a new in, uh, musician who's influencing the sound could make a difference. However, this new guitarist, Dave Depper, uh, his background is that he was playing with Ray LaMontagne uh, previously, touring with him and playing his music. So I don't know. It's all it's all just kind of weird to me. A album that is, like you mentioned, a, a bit lost on me and yeah. unfortunate relative to their earlier successes. And then, Tyler, I'll let you uh, round it out before we roll on. I, I really don't have a whole lot more to to add to this one um my i i, I don't i was not listening to this last album nearly as um intently as right. when i started with this group um i really don't think that they're, they're terrible 
they just kind of became irrelevant in my in my mind as I was listening to it. I just started paying attention to everything else that was going on around me more. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of fell um it fell on deaf ears. Right. Yeah, I, I get you. Um I guess let's get into grades here. Yeah, so, let's do it. Uh cultural impact. They are definitely a band that's had more than one hit. I knew who they were ever since I was a kid, so there's something to be said for that. Uh, I don't think it's they compare to the other two that we've looked at on the podcast so far, but I don't think they're super low either. Um, I wouldn't go lower than in the threes at, for them, for a band like that that's been around, that's you know put sure. out hits over multiple years. So I don't know what, what you were feeling or how you thought about it. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think I'm. It's so tough for me because I really thought I liked them. Well, I mean, you'd heard a full album that you thought was great. Yeah, well, one full album. Trust me when I say that had you listened to the albums on either side of um, plans, you would have felt the same way as. Like, if you listen to Transatlanticism or. the uh, record that comes after Narrow Stairs that has I Will Possess Your Heart on it. I think okay, you would have felt so they have nine studio albums. Mm-hmm. That's above average. Right, but we haven't I know, them. I know. I'm just yeah, thinking okay, of their... Yeah. Co- I'm trying One to platinum, it. two gold, to... just so you know. Yeah, I think maybe like maybe like a three and a half. I'm okay with it. That's all I got. Right. Uh, and then we'll say, uh, as far as the breadth of work goes, so uh, nine records, which is above average. Yeah. Um, one platinum and two golds, while it's not a lot, having a platinum and two gold three records and hit right. thresholds is better than the average band will ever do uh having yeah. a platinum record is better than than the average band will ever do so i do think that like maybe slightly bumps them uh most of the quality in the middle is is good to very good okay there are definitely some serious problems though i mean For like sure. we can't we can't discount the ending just not being nearly as strong as some of the stuff in the middle. I am definitely more of a person who likes their earlier work, who can dig those ambient tunes more, and there's definitely clearly a market for that because Death Cab made it big to some extent. Yeah, Um, they did. So I don't want to do this whole accounting for taste thing where we since you know disregard that ambient music um so i'm definitely above average on their breath because it's more than six they did sell the quality on several of the records is up there you're not they gonna are get me too high above average i i was thinking more like five and a half yeah i'm i'm like a maybe a five two mm. yeah that's I mean, a 5-2, w- we would start that. higher than a 5-2 for nine records because that's 150% of the threshold for a 5. Mm-hmm. And then we said we only go up from there because they, while not by much, like by, they'd get like a point one bump for their sales threshold. I just think the first album and, and the last album aren't that good. Right, but I, a, a lot of people who are Death Cab fan, in the Death Cab community are like, only their early albums, who are like first three albums and done type people too. Uh, I do think there is just a pr- difference of opinion on that type of music because I liked the That's first one. That's fine. But it was a C for opinion. me, but it was it was likable. Um, it's not a record that I would s- subtract points for. It's a record that I would oh, hold steady it's, for. It's a record that I subtract. Um, points the tr- for. the records in the middle though are records that add points. So I mean, I feel like they've got to be starting from like a five and a half. And then, honestly, I would have them higher than a five and a half because I would bump it to like five six, five seven for sales thresholds, and then to five eight ish for for quality because I do think most of the quality is very good. So, I will meet you in the middle at five and a half. Tyler, what do you think? 
I don't know. I I I just see it as I I just see it as being average. I I would I would say five. Right, but that he didn't take into account all the things that we take into account. So I you, I mean <laughs> he's that's all, fine. He is a co-host. So, I understand, but he ignored all the criteria that we talk about when we make these decisions. But that's fine. So, I'll bump it down. So I have nothing else to add. Okay. 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 I mean, I think by giving them the five three that I'm averaging down to, I'm uh, okay with it. That we are breaking with the formula. I'm just I saying that disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Uh, instrumental talent. I'm Consider this payback for Young the Giant. I'm super averageish on instrumental <laughs> talent. Does anyone want to disagree with the five? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay, great. Uh, songwriting talent it depends on the record. Uh, I like I said, I do think there are good things in the middle, the I middle section of their discography. The I think his lyrics it got gets, less inspired. It gets lazier as, as you, you go get, on. Yeah, and that's a negative for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not below average on him, but I might be there. Yeah, I think right at a five makes sense. All right, there. let's put him there. Positives, uh, negatives, balance out. Yeah, uh, and then lastly is poetic talent. Um, So I I'll really do think that he started off, it almost feels like he started off caring about what he was writing about. <laughs> and then after, you know, after like kind of like the middle towards the last like three or so albums, he just stopped. He just stopped caring about what he was writing about. And I don't know if it was a formula or if it was just like, I know what works or if it was just, I'm sick and tired of doing it. It just felt like completely vapid. I said vapid a bunch of times, but it just fits this album. It fits this last album and the later work is just so blah to me. Not I mean, again, like blah, blah, yeah. like I could take it. It didn't hurt anything for me. I wasn't taken out of See, the song by lyrics at any time. It hurts it to me because you have to compare it to himself. Well, if he you used compare to be Ben Gibbard to Ben Gibbard as a songwriter, sure. Later, Ben Gibbard doesn't even come close. Okay, and so that has to lose points for me. So you're starting out higher than average for him with yeah. His I'm other probably stuff. I, like if if you just took the first the first four couple albums, of records, yeah. Even the first album with its weird other mm-hmm. things, the lyrics were good. Yeah. So you take the first four, maybe even the first five. Okay. And then you take the rest of them and pit them against each other, and I'm 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 probably averaging out to like a five point two. Okay. Because I would be almost at a six, and then I took away points for just. The complete fine. D- destruction of of the writing. Okay, I will follow you into the dark there, sir, and and put a five point two. Is there an X factor here? I'm gonna say no. Okay, mainly because there's not one. I think that that's probably the best reason, and I do agree with you. Perfect. Well, you so, know what that I means. will say there is an X factor. Okay. Just a right. moment, I'll make one up. Uh, <laughs> the okay. lead singer of nope. the band was a former lover of Madonna. That's certainly not true. I thought you said you were going to make something up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a thing that he made up. Yeah, that is a thing that he definitely made what up. If Although... I, what if I told you Shannon Doherty once complimented a song of theirs? I would know you were lying. That would she be doesn't compliment I will anyone. tell you this, uh, because Tyler brought it up, and I knew that I had read this and I needed to double check really quickly, uh, the oh, lead singer boy. was actually married to Zoe Deschanel. Okay, okay, that's not Madonna. Tyler, that's very different. You terrible. Tyler very, did not very bring that up. You In no way did I bring that up. came very close. So, okay. yes, Ben Gibbard was for three years married to Zoe Deschanel. Saying, so. saying he was romantically involved with Madonna is not the same as saying Wait, married to it. Zoe Deschanel. I get it. You, brought, you said Tyler brought it up because Tyler had previously brought up Katy Perry. 
right. who is who is just Zoe Deschanel. Correct. They all have the same face. So that's it for this week. <laughs> uh, Said the creepy yeah. skin taker. <laughs> <laughs> so they anyway, we will see face. you guys uh, next week for our season one finale. So every 25 episodes, we're going to have a finale. Don't worry. You will not be missing content for any amount of time. There will not be gaps between seasons. But we will be doing recaps uh, of every artist from the top 25. We'll be looking at some of the great albums that we missed that we didn't get to talk about on the podcast because of the formula. If we'll we be... use today as an example, Private Eyes. Yes. Great song. Um, and album. Well. That was the whole uh, point that I made so, right there. Eh. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the best albums and best songs and worst albums and worst songs that we've heard so far up uh, in this segment, shout out the first to season. White Knight by Todd. Rundgren. Yeah, that's going to get some shout outs at our little uh, Razzie <laughs> Awards show. So it makes that's me... all. That's all that you need to know going forward. Other than the fact that for our season finale, one of the bands that we're going to be looking at is Cream. Wonderful. So yes, um, yeah, Big I'm gonna I'm gonna sign start. off here, but I just want to remind oh. everybody if you like what you're listening to. If you like what you're listening to and like what you're hearing, please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, shout us out on Instagram or Twitter uh, using the hashtag Totem Talks. Um, and, and more importantly, just kind of let us know what you're thinking here. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, do you have any ideas for an episode, one of our special nonlinear episodes, or just a group of, of artists you want to hear combined and compared? Um, yeah, we'll we'll yeah. work on it. We'll make and, it happen. Yeah, and I just want to say, all of us here at Low Totem are really big on the environment. Uh, we'd like to do everything yeah, that we fair. can to keep our planet safe. Uh, so one of the uh, things we'd yeah, like yeah. to ask all of our listeners to do is conserve water. Take a bath with a friend. Oh, okay, everything with. I, I was really hoping. You were saying all these really good things. I got really excited, and then and then you ruined it. I'll say me and Nick did it. It was great. It was a good time. No comment. John Wayne used to take baths. <laughs> yeah. That's a real thing. But I, also... I've never great- been cleaner, okay. thanks to Nick. <laughs> oh, my God. I got to go, guys. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>